Hey, good time of worship. <laughs> it's great to come up here when we really press in and trust what God is going to say and do to us, especially in the worship time, because I really believe that God is softening our hearts and readying our hearts for what he wants to say to us today. And so just as we kick out, let's pray once more and just trust that God's going to speak to us. Lord, we just pray that you help us to have hearts that are open to you, hearts that are open to what you want to say to us, and hearts that are challenged to not just hear the word, but do what it says. Not just to hear what you're saying to us, but be responsible and realize that we have a responsibility as being part of your kingdom to go out and make a difference for you. So we pray these things in your name, let your spirit come and just open our hearts now to your word. Amen. So the best uh, messages are ones that, uh, as you're preparing them, God is speaking to you and God is doing some surgery in your own heart. And today's message is one of those ones for me where God was really uh, challenging some things in my own heart uh, when it came to what we're going to talk about. And what we're going to talk about today is there is this thing that happens when we read news, when we look at social media, when we talk with people around us, classmates, office mates, um, where we hear about all this negativity that's going on around us. And we hear about all the things that are going on in the world. And we personally, even as believers, we spiral into this like negative way of thinking and we start spewing negativity. We go like, oh, nothing will ever change. Have you ever said that? Nothing will ever change. I, feel, I, I think I might have said that. Nothing will ever change. Things are, things are going downhill quickly. There's nothing we can do about it. We're, right? We get into this negative spiral and, and ways of thinking. And as a believer, I don't believe that that's right. I don't believe that that's how God sees the world. I don't believe God goes, oh, there's nothing that we can do that. And I don't think Jesus, when he was here, said that about anyone. When he, you think about the sinners, like Jesus never went, oh, oh, too bad, too gone. No, there was hope. And so we have this lack of hope today. And I'm going to dig into why we have this lack of hope. And uh, I actually started out the sermon going, speak, thinking about hope and having hope in this world, but it's actually more about having faith, faith in this world, because when we have faith in who God is and what he says, the hope starts growing and building in our hearts. So what is the problem? The problem is universal. The problem is not isolated to one people group, one social group, one financial bracket. The problem is universal, and the problem is sin. We live in a world where sin has just ravaged the world. From the very beginning, sin, in, sin entered the world. Sin has started to take its place and its roots in different areas of our world. And I think we come to the place where we we like to we want to put blame on something or someone, but the blame is actually on sinfulness. The blame is on sinfulness in this world, and none of us are exempt from that. Every single one of us has, in some way, messed up in our lives, and in, and in every way, we are fall short of what God's expectation of our lives is. And that's no different to people outside as to us as well. We just have the privilege of knowing Jesus who has removed our shame and removed our um, sin and made us righteous before him. But we don't start with this negative way of thinking. This isn't something that just like clicks this way and we start thinking this way. We have these external voicings, the things that we say out, but it starts with internal voicings that, that are going on inside our hearts and inside our minds. And we need to realize that. It's not the external. It's these voicings that continually go and the things that come in our minds that starts uh, changing what, the way that we think. But where do these voices come from? As believers, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? 
Romans 12 verse 2 says we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It means that our minds should be different and our minds should be more like Christ. But I find that we often slip back into this negative way of thinking. And why is that? Well, we're going to touch on a few points. And the first one is that we intend to listen to the voice of others rather than the voice of God. Right? We listen to the voice of others rather than the voice of God. God is saying stuff to us all the time. And it's always messages of hope. And it's always messages uh, that he's got this, that he is sovereign. But we listen to the voices of others. Others are saying things to us and we go, well, that's, yeah, that must be true. That must be right. And we find ourselves that we're slipping just a little bit away from what God actually, how God actually sees the, word, the world and he, what his perspective is. We sow negativity into our minds through people. We sow negativity in our minds through the things that we watch, the things that we read. And we wonder why we reap negativity out in our hearts uh, and our mouths when we speak it. We constantly expose ourselves to this negative conversations, whether it be with our family members. You know, there's always the one family member who's saying something negative. Um, you know, workmates, clubmates, you, you can fill in the blank. But we, we expose ourselves and we surround ourselves by these people who just speak negatively about the world around us. But there's no perspective in any of these conversations. It's a one-side thing. Everything's bad. Everyone complains about this bad that is happening. But... It's not, there's no perspective in that. And so we need to have perspective. Now, I have a, uh, a thing that I do on my phone. I um, have Google News. And uh, with Google News, you can choose the websites that you follow. Uh, and you can uh, see you, what the local news is. And I go through and I scroll through maybe four times a week. Go see what's happening in the world so I can keep updates up to date with everything that's going on. And it's probably one out of 10 story that's a really good story. And then the other ones are like, oh, the RAND's going up, the petrol price is going up, um, there's corruption, this person did this, banks being robbed. It's just story after story of negativity. And I found myself, as soon as I closed the app, I go, I'm feeling a little bit depressed about life right now. I'm feeling like everything's falling apart. But why is that? What am I exposing myself to? Is it good and bad? Or is it just negativity that's, that's being like, pumped into my life? And that's the truth, is we, we spend so much time pumping in the negative things in our life, and we don't put, put enough time sowing what is truth and what is good and what brings hope and peace and joy into our lives. And that's not just exempt for us. We see it in Scripture as well. There's three, three characters in the Bible that I thought of as, we, as I was preparing, and the one was Aaron. Aaron was Moses' right-hand man, and... Uh, when they were wandering around the wilderness, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to re receive the Ten Commandments on tablets that were handwritten by God. Now, you've got to understand, these are some special tablets, handwritten by God tablets. He's, yeah, I'm sure Moses must have been proud holding them, like, oh, wow, this is, this is incredible. I can't wait to go show the Israelites this. Anyway, what happened was while Moses was up in the mountain, he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, the Israelites started to get once again discontent, and uh, they started complaining to Aaron, and they started saying all the negative things that was going on, oh, you know, we can't do this, we need something that we can worship, and Aaron in his weakness listened to the voices of the people, and he decided, okay, well, we'll not down all of your rings, your bracelets, your necklaces, your toe rings, your nose rings, uh, all of them. And we will uh, melt them down and we'll make this cough. And the Bible actually says that he used a tool to make this cough, a golden cough that the Israelites worshipped. And uh, the story is a little bit more in depth and the, the Israelites were dancing around. And then obviously God knows what's going on. So God tells Moses what's going on. 
And then Moses goes, oh, I need to go and sort this out. So he comes down the mountain, sees what's going on, throws these tablets, handwritten God tablets, throws them on the floor, shatters them. He's so angry that he, he melts down this calf, sprinkles it across the water, uh, makes the Israelites drink this, asks Aaron, what happened? And this is what Aaron says. He says, oh, these evil people, <laughs> they, they did their thing again, and they were complaining, so I gave in. And what I did was I took all their gold, and I chucked it in the fire, and out popped this calf. Can you believe it? Out popped this calf. Like the Bible specifically says, he used a tool to craft it, but no, he's already lying. But what happened was he listened to the voice of people, right? He listened to what people were saying, and people were just bickering and moaning, oh, it would be better if we're back in Egypt. That's what the Israelites loved to say. It would be better if we're back in Egypt. But he, they bickered and moaned, and so he started listening, and so his outlook and his negativity changed as well. Now, there's Job as well, and Job is an interesting one because Job you would see as someone who's blameless, right? Job was someone who God said he was completely righteous, and uh, so Satan was like, well, maybe not. Let's, let's take away everything and then see if he's righteous. But he was. He was a righteous man. God said that he was righteous, and he stayed righteous, and he stayed close to God. But this is what the friends started saying to him. It's because of your sin. It's because of your sin. It's because of your sin. That's why God is punishing you. It's because of your sin. And what did he do? He started listening to them. And he went to God, God, my sin, I just, I don't know what it is, but take it away. I'm so sorry. I'm like dirt before you. Meanwhile, it wasn't his sin that, that all this was happening. There was this dialogue happening between God and Satan, but he listened to his friends. And the negative voices of his friends were not the right voices in the situation. The last one is Peter, the rock, right? Peter, the rock who God will build his church on. No, this situation, he was the little pebble. And the situation was when Jesus was on trial and he was separated and he was around the fire. Maybe I, I sort of picture him with like a, like a hoodie over his head and just sitting around the fire in the cold, like just minding his own business, not wanting to get any attention to himself. And uh, all the people start talking. Oh, did you hear about Jesus? Like, we thought he was good, but he's on trial. What did he do? Uh, murder? And then they look at him and go, I'm pretty sure I recognize you. I'm pretty, weren't you one of the guys who walked around, you know the story, and he says, no, well, not me, and then I ask again, he goes, no, not me, and then the third time, it's like, hey, stop talking about me, oh, I never knew this man, and you can just, you know, go somewhere else, I'm with you guys, and I sort of, like, picture in my mind, maybe he, like, you know, said some bad stuff to try and get them to think that he was, like, one of them instead of one of the things, but the thing is that he heard what the people were saying, and it influenced him, he was a follower of Jesus, the one of the people who were the closest to him, and as soon as he was away from the truth and surrounded by people who brought these negative influences, it changed his life. The truth is that we can con constantly spend our time around or engaging negativity and negative influences. We're going to reap the reward of that negativity. So the first thing is that we spend too much time around influences, whether that be social media, news, people, that's instead of being close to God. The second thing is that we're actually, we can be selfish. And uh, we're all in different degrees on the selfish thing, but there's this word that is being used more and more in society today, and it's narcissism. And narcissism is this incessant need to, to please self all the time, no matter what. It's about me, and it's always about me. And if you inconvenience me, then, then I'm going to be up in arms. Um, and what it's about is that it's about my comfort, my wealth, my safety, my security, my rights. And you hear that a lot, right? When you, when you read stuff, it's, it's all about me, how it affects me. 
how, that's the perspective. It's the how does this affect me perspective. But this is so unhealthy, and the root of this is actually pride. It's pride. It's all about me. I don't care about other people. It's about me. But if we're stuck in this way of thinking, we'll never have the desire to actually help someone in need or to, or to change the world unless it benefits me. If it benefits me, then I'll help you. But if it doesn't benefit me, then you, know, you can stay over there. It's such an ungodly perspective. The Bible says that we must not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, which basically means good should just be second nature. We should be doing good. We should be saying good. It should just be second nature. But if we look at these two things, the fact that the influences on our lives are greater than how God is influencing our life and the fact that we're selfish, there's a deeper, a deeper thing here. And this is what it is. It's our distance away from what God's perspectives are and what God's attitudes are. If we're far from God, then obviously we're going to be far from the way that he sees things. If we want correct perspective, we've got to go and be close to God. Our minds need to align with God's mind. We slip into negativity when we're not close to God and what he feels. God tells us uh, in Philippians 4 to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. It's nice sounding things, eh? <laughs> think about all these things. What is excellent. And then I love what it says. Anything that is worthy of praise. Anything. Think about anything that is worthy of praise. You think God's trying to say something here? Stop thinking about the negative all the time. Anything that's worthy of praise, think about that. Do you know what it says will happen? The God of peace will be with you. God of peace will be with you if you think about all of those things. But what do we do? We think about the negative things, and then we wonder why we don't feel peace in our hearts. We wonder why there's fear welling up in our hearts. I came up with this term. Feel free to use it uh, whenever it's, it comes up. It's EFAM. EFAM. Sounds good, right? It's the everything is falling apart mentality. Okay. So, so when you have a friend or, or something that it just sounds like everything is falling apart, you can go, hey, stop being EFAM. Huh? <laughs> stop having EFAM. Um, yeah, everything's falling apart mentality. We, we tend to have that. Eh? Like, it's the worst of the worst. Instead of having perspective and seeing both sides of this, we start taking our eyes off God and we start focusing on all of the situations with a perspective devoid of the, the sovereignty of God, that God has got this, that, that God actually cares about us and God cares about this world and that God is, is working out a plan in this world and we can be a part of that. Like when we have that perspective, it, you know, it spurs us on. <clears throat> so, before we talk about some of the solutions, we need to gain a little bit of perspective. And I'm going to ask some questions, and I'm not going to give you the answers, and I'm not going to ask for the answers. This is purely for you to think about, so I'll give a little pause in between so that you can uh, have a moment to think. So first one, does the world really have no hope? Is there no hope in this world? Next, what are the things we are hoping for that leads us to this hopelessness? What are the things we are hoping for that leads to hopelessness? Okay, then let's think about the way that God sees the world. What should we be hoping for? If we're having the same perspective as God, what should we be hoping for? Then if the fundamental problem is sin, then correct perspective is to see everyone as sinners. Then how did Jesus treat sinners? 
How did you treat sinners? And the last one, does running or hiding actually ever change anything? Think about Jonah. Does running and hiding change anything? Does the world change when we run and hide? Sort of rhetorical questions, but it gets you thinking. So, how do we grow our faith and in turn our hope for this world and for everything around us? Well, the obvious one from what we've spoken about is that we need to pursue God, right? We need to get closer to him every single day, closer and closer. God wants us to be as close as possible to him. God wants us to know him more and more and more. That's who our God is. The Bible is God's word. And if we're not reading God's word, his actual word, we will never fully understand um, the characteristics of who God is. We'll never get the full picture of who God is without reading his word. But when we read his word, we start getting enlightened to see, hey, this is who God is. Hey, this is how he works in the world. Hey, this is how I can partner with him in the gospel. Scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we find that we're being overly critical or negative, what's, what's the solution? We need to look into our heart and go, what's going on in here? If you find, hey, hello. <laughs> if we find that there's things that, huh, echo. <laughs> um, it's not flat, so I don't know what's going on. Um, if we find that things are are coming out that are not good, we've got to look in our heart and go, what's going on in there? And then we've got to look at our mind because that's the next step. What's going on in our minds because that affects our hearts. So how do we understand what God's heart is towards humanity? Jesus, right? Bible says that if we want to get a realistic picture of who God is, we can look at Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. There's this word that I really love, and it's uh, splunknizomai. Uh, it's a word in Greek that's used only speaking of Jesus. Uh, in the whole Bible, the only time it's used is when it's speaking of Jesus. How cool is that? Oh, hello. Should I use one of these? Are you sure? <laughs> I'm keeping this on standby. Okay, it's used only when speaking of Jesus. And what this word is, is the splunkna was, is your, your, your bowels, your, your innards, your like, intestines, your uh, the inside. Okay. It's the, uh, can you say that? <laughs> it's the, uh. um, the closest sort of English translation would be gut-wrenching. So splunknizomai would be gut-wrenching compassion that Jesus had for people. Like, it wasn't just like a, I feel sorry for you. Like, there was a, there was a, like, his stomach was turning when he thought about how much he loved the people. And the really interesting thing about this is, it's only spoken about Jesus, but he's always moved to do something when he had this compassion for people. So the Bible says, whenever there was this compassion, he was moved to do something about it. That's who Jesus was. So let's just look quickly at what some of the examples were. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he had this, this com- same compassion, this gut-wrenching compassion. When he saw the sick, the broken, and the hurting, he had this, this, this compassion, this deep compassion. When he saw others in sorrow, he had this deep compassion. And one of the examples that I thought was incredible was um, there was a widow and her dead son coming out of the city. They were carrying her son. 
and Jesus saw this widow weeping. It doesn't say he saw the son, but he saw the widow weeping, and he was moved to this deep gut-wrenching compassion, and he moved to do something, and he raised this dude from the dead. Uh, cool story. Um, and then the last one, parable of the lost son. We all know it well, the prodigal son. Uh, the son comes, says, give me my money. I'm going to go now and uh, live my life. And he goes and lives his life and squanders all his money on all sorts of useless living, realizes he's got nothing left, ends up at a pigsty, uh, ends up eating the pig's food, starts realizing, hey, my father's servants get treated even better than this. I'll just go and like fall at his knees and beg him to just make me a servant. Uh, ask for forgiveness and whatever I can do. So he starts making his way home. Dad sees him from a distance, and this, he says, this dad had splunk knees of my compassion on his son. The son came running, and he is like, I can't stay here. And as the dad goes running towards him as well, moved to action, goes running towards him, embraces him. And I love this paraphrase. It says, when he was, this is Luke 15, verse 20, when he was still far away, his father saw him, and loved him so much that it felt like someone had grabbed a handful of his intestines and aimed a punch at his belly. <laughs> but no, there was this, this incredible compassion that he had. And that's, that's the picture of God in us. You know? When we come to him, like God has this compassion on us. And surely if we understand that that's how God sees us, there's got to be some correlation about how we see the world. There's got to be a, some correlation to how we... Um, live in this world and act in this world and speak in this world because God sees us like that. Think about this. Jesus had the same compassion when he saw us. Future tense. He saw us on that cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. There were chunks of flesh taken out of his back. A crown of thorns put in his head. He was nailed to a cross. And yet he did all of that because he had compassion on us. If we have that perspective, it changes our perspective massively. Because if I can just show a little bit of love, a little bit of hope to someone else, I'm giving a little piece of what Jesus did for me. So we've got to ask ourselves, do we trust God more than any circumstance or situation? Isaiah 26 verse 3 says that those who trust in and keep their minds on God those who trust in and keep their minds on God, they will have perfect peace. Perfect. Perfect peace. Do you know what perfect peace is? Have you felt that recently? Perfect peace? Only if we put our whole hope in and realign our hearts and minds with Christ will we begin to have this peace. Then the next three things are sort of built on top of that foundation. So that is that is the most important thing. We've got to draw closer to God. God's word, scripture, what, how does God see things? We build everything on top of that. So the next thing is that we actually need to pursue fellowship. There's no coincidence in scripture that God continually tells us the importance of keeping close with our brothers and sisters. Right? It's all over scripture. I actually, I started with a whole lot of scriptures and then I just deleted, deleted, deleted because I can't, can't be all day, you know. Um, but I'm going to share some of them with you. Hebrews 10 tells us to think about how to stir up each other to love and good works and that we should do it together because some have given up the habit of meeting together. Our responsibility is to encourage each other every day. Ecclesiastes 4 says that two are better than one because if one of them falls, then you can, the other one can lift them up again. Also says that where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. God is there. Proverbs 27 tells us that when we are gathered together as believers, we sharpen each other. 
right? As iron sharpens iron. When we get together, we're better. There's so many scriptures about this. And one of my favorite, as I was just reading through this, was in Genesis chapter 2, when um, Adam has just been made and uh, he's, Eve hasn't been made yet. God says this, It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That's very interesting because sin hadn't entered the world yet. The depravity of sin hadn't entered the world. There was nothing wrong. But God knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so he made Eve. He wasn't speaking that man needs a woman. He was saying that we're better together. As humanity, we are better together. God said this because he knows that one human would not enjoy God as much as many humans together. That together we can spur one another on. Hey, isn't that cool that God had a plan for us to be together, to do this together, called the church? I think that's fantastic. So firstly, we need to have our foundation as God. Secondly, we need to um, continue to meet together uh, with believers and those who do build up and not break down. Third, we need to guard our heart. I'm not going to touch too hot, too long on that. Uh, we understand what that is. Um, but every day we should be surrendering our own agenda to God's agenda. And when things that come across that go like, oh, this doesn't seem like a God thing, we need to be guarding our hearts and, and watching it and, and stopping those things from enter, uh, entering. 2 Corinthians says we need to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Take it captive. No, I'll, I don't believe that's true because I know what God's heart is. I've got the foundation in place. If we're not monitoring what's going into our hearts, that toxicity can creep in without us realizing it. God tells us to carefully guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. How does it say it? It's the wellspring of life. Life comes out of our hearts, so guard it carefully. And Luke 6 says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. So if we're doing good, there's probably good built up in our hearts, but if there's evil coming out, discouragement coming out, depression. I'm not speaking about clinical depression, but we feel down about everything. Like we've got to evaluate what is going on in our hearts. We've got to continue to protect our hearts. And then the last one, built on the foundation that we need to be close to God and with the other things in mind, is this. We've got to be countercultural. We've got to be different. God's called us to be different. Not to just sit and hide like we asked in that question. Hide and you know, cower and fear. No, we've got to be different. We've got to be like Christ. We've got to be different to the world. Romans 12 verse 2, I also found this interesting. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. There's sort of this expectation that we have been conformed to the world, that world has corrupted us in some way. But don't be conformed any longer to the passion, pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our calling is to be countercultural. To, to live differently than the rest of the world. So why don't we encourage rather than ridicule? Why don't we love rather than hate? Uh, discover what you're thankful for rather than complaining. Share good rather than rant on the bad. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. So instead of adding to fear, worry, instability, anger, malice, pride, we should do as 2 Peter says and add to our faith, goodness, faithfulness, Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. We need to be sharing stories of hope. And I'm going to share one with you. I'm reading it straight uh, 
from the page here because I've actually taken it straight off Facebook. But it's a friend of mine who went to Cape Town recently um, and uh, hopped in an Uber to get where they were needing to go. And this is what she said. James has four cars. One he rents out for use to his two individuals. One he drives for Uber. And the other two, a gentleman from Malawi and one from Zambia drive for Uber. I asked him how that works, if he rents the vehicles to them monthly or if he takes a percentage of the earnings. <clears throat> Want to know what he said? He brought the two cars, he bought the two cars and has paid off the majority of their costs. There are only four years left of repayments. Instead of renting these to the other Uber drivers, they take the money they would have spent on renting a car in order to work and they make the monthly repayments. He signed a four-year contract with them and at the end of the four years, the car is theirs. Okay. Isn't that a story of hope? This is what James said. The guy's name is James. I realized I own four cars, and some people can't even buy one in order to work. They'll never own a car, unless someone decides to be less selfish. I realized I can't hold on to my stuff anymore. It's just not right. That was James. I don't know if this guy was a believer. I'd like to think so, but he probably wasn't. And it saddens me that a guy who potentially doesn't know Jesus would be able to have an impact like this, and we, we don't. God has called us to be difference makers, and in our world, there is so much need for us to be who God has called us to be. We see the story, and we go, yeah, that's great, but does anything actually happen? Do we, are we spurred on to go like, hey, Lord, I want to do something for you? There's a song by Switchfoot that I love. And it says this, is this the world you want? Is this the world you want? You're making it every day you're alive. Is this the world you want? You're making it every day you're alive. God's going to ask us one day what we did with the knowledge we have. And we need to know what our answer is going to be. So, you know the saying, go big, and, go big or go home? I'm saying go big and go home. <laughs> because we actually we need to respond. And I pray that in the beginning, and I really believe this, this is what the purpose of church is, to spur us on so that we can go make a difference in our world for him. I think we often have the wrong perspective of life. We've spoken a lot about perspective this morning. And I think one of the perspectives we have is we see life as this, we see life as everything, right? Life is everything. And we work towards making life as comfortable as possible, work towards making life as safe as possible. Um, I mean, that's why we build massive walls around us and put electric fences. Like, we want to be safe. And there's nothing wrong with being safe. But we work towards this life, and we forget about what the next life is going to be. We forget that this life is like a pinprick in the ocean of the universe compared to what eternity is going to be. But if we see this perspective as this life is our setting up for eternity. This life is doing what God has called us to so that we can rest for eternity, so that we can praise and worship for eternity. Like it changes our perspective on what we do in this life. So my question to you is, as you grow faith in your life, as you get draw closer to God, as you draw on fellowship to spur you on in the faith, this hope will rise within your soul. What are you going to do with it? 
as a believer, we have a calling to go into the world and make disciples. Are we making disciples? A question to ask is, when last did you lead someone to Jesus? And it's a tough question because for some of us, it's been a long time. But that's what our calling is. That's what Jesus said. The last thing he said before he left was, go into the world and make disciples. Go into the world and be hope bringers. I'm going to touch on Jesus one more time because this is what it's about. Jesus saw us in our depraved state. He saw us as completely lost. He saw us trying to achieve good but missing the mark completely. And even seeing who we were, no matter what sin it was, he had that compassion on us and died a gruesome death for us. He took the punishment of a criminal so that we could be seen as he is to the Father. If that's who Jesus is for us, we're called to live the same life. Do we have compassion on others? When last did we cry when we saw the hurting around us? When last did we get moved to compassion like that? And when last have we gone to someone and and said, hey, do you know Jesus? Because I tell you what, as much as there's pain in your life, I know that the one solution is Jesus. He's the one who brings hope in every situation. He's the one that gives us this perspective that this life is temporary and small and short compared to the joy that eternity will be. And I don't want to stand one day um, when God separates the goats and the sheep. I want to stand and look across and, and regret It's not going to be a happy day, I can tell you that. When God separates the goats and sheep before we enter heaven, it's going to be a sad day because we're going to see people and we're going to go like, I could have have done something. I don't want to stand there and see hundreds of people that I could have done something about, but I want to stand next to my other sheep, you guys. I want to stand next to you and go like, hey, I had an influence in your life. God used me in your life. God used me in your life. And we can celebrate together for eternity. And then there's one more group of people that I want to talk to, and that's maybe people who don't know Jesus here this morning. Maybe you've come here, and you've come here a couple times, maybe this is your first time, and you've just been discovering more about who he is. Well, today's the day that if you have that stirring in your heart, don't hold back. We serve a God who loves us, who expects nothing for his salvation. Nothing. He's given to us freely. And what a joy that is, because we get to live this life full of joy. In the midst of trials, yeah, but full of joy every single day. And so if that is you, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith today. Faith, trusting God. I want to encourage you to do that and go, Jesus, I believe in what you did. And I'm so sorry for who I am and what I have been. And I want you to come in and I want you to transform my life so that I can be more like you. So that I can know what this hope is and be a bearer of hope in my world as well. And maybe even as a believer, you want to ask that as well. Help me be a bearer of hope in my world. Help me be a bearer of the gospel, of truth. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you so much that you saw us when you took that crown of thorns. That you had compassion on us. That you made a plan for us. We thank you so much. Thank you for your 
incredible, unending love for us that we can sit here together as your church. And Lord, as we've been challenged by you this morning, Lord, this is a good challenge. Lord, this is an exciting challenge, an encouraging one, because we're on mission with you. We're not alone in this. You didn't say it and then leave us, but you're with us every step of the way. And so, Lord, I want to pray that you would continue to encourage, you would continue to speak to us, Lord, that you'd help us to just draw really close to you so we can see what your perspectives are for the world. Lord, we want to be more like you. So, Lord, come and firstly protect our hearts from things that shouldn't go in, but then stir our hearts to action for your namesake. We do this because our lives are changed. And we love you, Lord. Amen.